This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Welcome to the Artificial Intelligence Podcast with your host, Dr. Tony Huang. Today, I'm with Carl Harris. Carl, do you want to give, give a quick intro about yourself? Yeah, happy to. Very excited to be here. So uh, my name is Carl Harris. I'm the CEO of Lex Machina, uh, which is a business that's part of LexisNexis. And just real quick story about my background is I would say there's kind of three things. Like I love entrepreneurship, I love legal, and then I love product and tech. And so I've uh, been an entrepreneur at two companies, including Lex Machina. I've been to law school, so I am technically a lawyer. And then I've spent a lot of time building software systems and tech and things like that, in particular around analytics and data-driven decision-making. And so LexMock kind of pulls all those things together. Cool. And uh, this is a spinoff of LexisNexis, or is this like a, a subsidiary? Yeah. So actually, we started off as a venture-backed startup here in Silicon Valley, and we were acquired by LexisNexis in the end of 2015. And so we're a business unit that's part of LexisNexis. Very cool. Congratulations. AI right now is surrounded by just a, a lot of hype and expectations. From your point of view, can you share some like perspectives on the current state of AI and where it stands in terms of delivering on its potential in, in the legal sector? Because right now, everybody and their mom is talking about what's happening in terms of legislation, as well as like these lawsuits that are happening. Absolutely. So maybe a couple of different ways to talk about it. So one is in terms of your question about like how, what is AI doing and how does it match expectations and what's the reality? I think of these things in three phases. So phase one is when expectations are very high, but the ability to deliver like real solutions and real value is a little bit lower. And then phase two, it kind of flips, right? People realize the limitations and then actually their expectations of what it can do are lower than what it actually can do. And then finally, in phase three, those things even out and expectations match the reality and we go forward uh, in, in harmony. Right now, we're in phase one. And the reason is not so much that AI can't deliver cool things. It's just that expectations are through the roof. People basically think that generative AI can do anything. Um, and the reality is it can do a lot of things, but it can't do everything. And what's most interesting to me is to see what's going to happen as we enter phase two. Like, are folks going to get completely disillusioned? Is there going to be an excessive change in the amount of hype and backlash? Or is it going to be a moderated adjustment of expectations? Because it's a lot of folks are having to invest right now at a stage where expectations are through the roof. And I'm curious to see how that carries through when those things match more going forward. Yeah. So like, how would you balance that exciting hype around AI's potential future 
with like more practical, like real world applications in the legal field today? Yeah, I think there's, there's a couple of things. Number one is making sure that for folks that are building software that either lawyers rely on or that people rely on to solve uh, legal problems, which by the way, are two different things. There's solving lawyer problems and there's solving legal problems, but just making sure that the tools that you're building, you're setting the proper expectations around what it can do and what it can't do and what the potential is and what the reality is. And just make sure that you're always delivering true value into the workflow of lawyers that you're working with. And let me give you an example, because I know that probably sounded like just a generic answer. Um, But right now, you could definitely ask generative AI to draft you, for example, a cease and desist letter, where you would say, hey, stop doing this thing that you're doing. Otherwise, there's the, the penalty of a lawsuit. And AI could definitely draft a letter that sounds really good. And then you could even say, hey, make this more aggressive or make this less aggressive or custom tailor it in this way or custom tailor it in that way. But then it's not ready to just ship. You have to make sure that you're reviewing it, that it is substantively accurate, that anything that's in there can be verified and is factual, and then take that final step. And making sure that folks understand that, look, this is a great way to get you started, but it's your responsibility to take this over the finish line is sometimes a difficult message to deliver when what you really want, ideally would love to be able to say is, hey, just use uh, AI to to generate um, this message. It reminds me a lot, actually, not to go off on a tangent, but of the state of self-driving cars. Like we would love to believe that Self-driving cars can take us everywhere, anytime with no problems. But the fact is, you've seen all the articles that come out. There is human intervention every certain number of miles in self-driving cars. But that's not an end of the world. That's just how it is right now. And that's the path forward. And I think it's similar with human intervention for, for generative AI and legal. Yeah, the, definitely around the legal space. In Earlier this year, in June 22nd, like a U.S. judge imposed sanctions on two New York lawyers who submitted a, yes. like a legal brief that included six fake cases that were like generated by ChatGPT, and they were fined like $5,000 in total. That is like a reputation destruction play that just happened there because I don't think anybody would ever use those lawyers again. So like, how would you like mitigate that type of, like, how would you just prevent that in the first place? Would you have some type of safeguard in place? Would you have some type of training in place in order to like mitigate reputation destruction that are coming out for these two lawyers? Yeah. The the thing that I find interesting about that is once folks in the legal space, especially people in legal tech like myself, understood the power of Chad GPT and all this kind of stuff, we all would joke, who's going to be that lawyer that submits a brief that cites cases that didn't even exist? It wasn't a matter of if that was going to happen. It's just who was going to do it. And it just so happened to be those two people. To your question about what to do about it, I have a couple of different ways to answer that. Number one is there are a lot of great lawyers out there But there are also lawyers out there that are not so great. And this basically just magnifies, right? It's just bad lawyering with the technology that's being talked about the most creates like just a pressure point where like everybody learned about it. But there's a lot of bad stuff that goes on every single day in the legal space and other spaces as well. It's just that with generative AI, 
the ability to do those things and produce bad work is just magnified, both in terms of how easy it is to produce the bad work, but also in terms of the visibility that comes into it. And so what I would say is I, I do think that there are there should be formal training now, whether that be through the bar or something like that. But if lawyers are going to use generative AI, you have to understand what it is you're doing and how it can be used and, and how to effectively use it. But also, I'm really interested to see there's going to be all kinds of local rules across courts where they're going to say, hey, you need to say, did you use generative AI to produce this content? If so, how? How do you know that it's cited uh, correctly? How do you know that everything's uh, correct? And I think that combination of training, but then also maybe some interim rules in the court are things that could be helpful. And by the way, I'm somebody that is very pro technology. I think generative AI is going to be super powerful for uh, both lawyers, but also their clients. But I definitely think that we need to make sure that we have some of those safeguards in place so that it, it can it is trusted moving forward as it should be in the right hands. Yeah. And so I, I find this, the topic of like training data sets for specific industries, very intriguing to me, like training AI models, for instance, for law can be really complex, right? So like, could you so, like elaborate on the necessity of like specialization and, and challenges of finding just these accurate, relevant data sets for AI training so that you don't get these AI models that are hallucinating like these fake use cases. And then later on, when you actually present it to the court, you get embarrassed. Yeah, a great question. So I think of it two different ways. So one, you mentioned the word specialization. So that's like training a particular model in a specific domain. But then there's the second piece, which I think of is augmentation, which is once you get the output from a model, do you then augment that output by either fact checking it or changing it or flagging things that could be dangerous in particular? And I think in legal, I'll take those two in reverse order, augmentation is super powerful because in that use case you mentioned where they were citing fake cases, it's very easy for a system like LexisNexis to just look and see, hey, is this an actual case? Is this case citing good law? Is this case relevant at all to the particular situation that you're bringing it into? And using tools that can do that augmentation uh, once you get the output from a model, that's going to be super important and, and, and super effective. And, and it's actually very manageable. Like there, the law is full of procedures. It's full of case law. It's full of things that are known. And augmentation is very powerful that. In terms of specialization, I think there's going to be a lot of opportunity to specialize models to produce specific legal text or that's trained on uh, legal databases and things like that. But even in those situations, that augmentation piece is going to be super important because you mentioned like avoiding hallucinations. Sometimes what I like to say is these the LLMs, in terms of the way they work under the service, they're hallucinating all the time. It's just that sometimes those hallucinations happen to be right. So I'm sometimes thinking about it the other way. Like people think, oh, sometimes it hallucinates and produces bad answers. It's always hallucinating. It's just a lot of the times the thing that, that it hallucinates are correct, and sometimes the things are incorrect. 
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Yeah, so right now, Gen AI is just like the single hottest topic out of any other technology that's coming out right now. Like, how can it transform the legal process? What are some like use cases where like Gen AI can make just a significant impact in the legal writing and the legal research that's being done? Yeah, for sure. Again, a couple of different buckets. So one is, let's start with an easy one. So one thing that generative AI uh, and in particular, these general purpose large language models, like the big ones that you've heard of, like GPT and Claude and Bard and all that kind of stuff, they're very good at summarizing. If you give them a set of information uh, and you say, hey, summarize this, that is something they are very good at. And a lot of legal research is summarizing. Hey, summarize this case or summarize these five different cases or summarize the difference between these two cases. And they, the general purpose large language models are already very good at that out of the box. The key there is giving it the right set of content to summarize, to produce the answer that you want. And so, of course, content's king in legal. And having the right content to be summarized is going to be great. That's going to really shorten legal research, and that's going to be super powerful. The second piece is actually, like you mentioned, generating written legal content. So we would think of that in the legal space as drafting. So, hey, draft me a motion for summary judgment based on winning content or draft me a reply to this letter or something like that. That is also going to be super powerful. But in the way I think of that right now is it's super powerful to get to a very strong starting point. Like it can circumvent all of the effort of a person looking at a blank page and wondering where to get started. No need to start with blank pages anymore. You can always get something drafted that's pretty directionally in the way that you want to go, but then you do require that kind of legal professional expertise to get it over at the finish line in a way that's ready to deliver to say your client or opposing uh, counsel or an actual judge. But I think that is going to really short circuit and make uh, the the drafting process and make things much more uh, efficient. And then the last piece is search. Summarizing presumes that you found stuff that you want to summarize. Drafting presumes that you know what you want to draft and you've got a base of information to create that first draft. Search is something where you're just out there, you're exploring, like you say, what's this or what's that or how does this work or how does that work? And I think generative AI-based search is going to be super powerful, especially when those models are trained on legal text and legal corpus and case law and all those types of things. Yeah, so there was a, a recent survey that was done where like over half of the respondents said that they were using Gen AI in their in the workplace, even though they weren't uh, telling their bosses. <laughs> are you guys doing the same thing in the legal field where like you are supplementing a lot of the mundane tasks out to these large language models? Or is it frowned upon to be used in the legal aspect because there's still a lot of uncertainty? What are you guys doing right now in the legal space? Are you guys actually actively using Gen AI as a product offering? Or 
are you are you currently not using it right now and waiting for like someone else to give you the okay like legislation or your higher ups? That's a great question. I would say that we're early in the adoption cycle, but there are definitely lots of people that are using generative AI to help them be better and more efficient lawyers. Now, but the answer is a little bit of both, right? I think that good lawyers are being very careful in how they do it and very purposeful and making sure that any final content that is produced is properly reviewed, just like you would review content that was produced by an associate. You wouldn't just give a first-year associate an assignment and just turn it into a judge without even looking at it. In the same way, you shouldn't do so for generative AI. But people are using uh, generative AI because it's so powerful. Now, one thing I will mention is that in terms of, you mentioned a concern about what's the quality of this thing that generative AI produced, which very straightforward, you got to check it. You got to make sure it meets your standards. And, and we view this as a short circuit way to get to where you need to go. But one thing that's a important concern is what happens to the content that you give to your large language model to then produce things that you want to use? So for example, we definitely should not be using the open version of ChatGPT to put our clients' confidential documents because those could end up in the public model the next time that they run it and update it. And that's a huge deal. Oh, that, that was a big problem with Samsung. Like the their, the developers, they actually put in proprietary Samsung code into ChatGPT without realizing that, uh, without reading the terms and conditions of using that that chat layer, that it, like the inputs and outputs are retained for retraining purposes, which means that yes. all, all of that proprietary code that they've been working on becomes public knowledge because of that, because they were being careless. And yeah, you like do not put any type of proprietary like information that is sacred to your business or the client's information into ChatGPT. That's just a warning to everybody. I've, I've seen so many companies on the news that say, oh, we've accidentally placed our proprietary code or like PII data into ChatGPT. And I just facepalm because it's it's unbelievable that there's no IT security that was set in place in order to like safeguard those types of informations. Absolutely. And everybody is or should be worried about that almost more so than this topic of, let me make sure I'm being careful with the work product it produces. The reason is because you can always fix bad work product. Once you put something into chat GPT, uh, it's, it's in there. Uh, there is no going back. And so that's why one of the most important things for using generative AI and legal is to make sure that you're using it in a safe environment. Like there are LexisNexis 1 and LexisNexis AI. If you use Lexis generative AI um, by the terms and conditions, by the way it works, by the privacy policy, you are not contributing your private information to the general purpose model for use going forward. And I think it's just really important for folks to, to understand that because it, it's... It is pretty crazy how easy it is to just put something in chat GPT. And I can understand why somebody might not really understand that, hey, you just put that out there in large language models and on the internet forever in the, in the five seconds that it took you to do that. So folks do need to be very careful about that. And that is a piece of, in the legal tech space where folks are hypersensitive.
Yeah. So in terms of the Lexus Nexus AI, is are you guys using like off the shelf open source LLMs for that and then running your own inference server on that? Or do you have an agreement with one of the LLM providers to develop a system that uh, that will maintain that type of privacy? We have partnerships with both Anthropic, who produces the large language model called Claude, and also through Microsoft, which has a way to access GPT. So not chat GPT, but GPT in a safe, secure environment. And those are the types of things that we do with the, the big picture, general purpose, large language models. But we also, is in particular here at Lex Machina, uh, we use all kinds of different language models. We've been using... Um, language models to to do um, all kinds of things in our product for years. For example, one thing we do is we do have a small but specialized language model that can figure out the outcomes of motions. So we could say, hey, what is this motion? And it will say, hey, it's a motion for summary judgment. And we say, what was the outcome? Oh, it was granted or it was denied. And we've been doing that for some time. Now that's different. So that is a language model that we have trained specifically and specialize it to do that task. So it can't do anything else. Like it can't do all these things that the large general purpose, large language models can do, but those specific things that we trained it and asked it to do, it does really well. And that's an example of some, kind of some good use of generative AI that, that we build in a proprietary way. Gotcha. Yeah. I, I was reading on the news that like gen AI is set to replace a lot of the paralegals and it's often said that Gen AI will, like, in opposite, will enhance like lawyers' efficiencies rather than replace them. Could you share your insights on the role of Gen AI in law firms and how they're like reshaping the legal profession? Sure. I I always like to say that generative AI is not going to replace lawyers, but lawyers that use generative AI are going to replace those that don't. And this reminds me exactly of the types of conversations we were having, call it seven, eight, nine years ago around machine learning, right? When machine learning was new and it could do all kinds of cool stuff and there was a lot of extractive capabilities, people were wondering, which jobs is it going to replace? Was, are we even going to need lawyers in the future? And we said then, no, this is not going to replace lawyers, it's going to make them better. And I think it's the exact same situation now. Generative AI is not going to replace lawyers, but it's going to make them better. I am intrigued by what you mentioned about this kind of almost like conflicting story you've heard about, hey, are they going to replace paralegals, but just like enhance lawyers? I, I, I don't know about that. I think that it, probably the same thing holds true, like paralegals that can harness generative AI are going to be able to do a lot more stuff as our lawyers that harness generative AI. Anytime something becomes more efficient, you wonder, does that mean you can do it with fewer people? I think the irony of, it's not an irony, but the U.S. economy, as much as we joke about there being lawyers here and there and everywhere, is often underserved from a legal perspective. Small businesses, especially small local businesses, are often in need of legal services that they're not receiving for the fear of cost or the overhead that it takes to do it or a lack of training. And I think generally speaking, there's a lot of opportunity for a lot of people to be better served from a legal perspective than they are now. So I see the efficiencies as helping the market rather than making it less people participating in it. Gotcha. I guess in terms of like efficiency, like how does Gen AI like manifest in like your day-to-day -day operations? 
how would it manifest in operations like as a lawyer or as me yeah, as, a, yeah, as, like, a, uh, as a as a lawyer what do you are you actually actively using it for like day-to-day -day operations or are you only using it for um like specific cases or what when do you start using it and if you are using it like what's the extent of, of God, i would imagine i would like i said it's early days for adoption but i think that you would use it on a daily basis one of the when you think about at the highest level, what do lawyers do? They read and they write and then they argue uh, verbally. But in terms of those two things, the reading and the writing, generative AI is so good at summarization. You should be using generative AI to help you figure out where to focus your time, to help you figure out what to read, where to dig in, to summarize large amounts of information that you would otherwise have to read word by word. And then in terms of writing, it is, once you start using these tools to help write emails and stuff like that, it's hard to go back. It should definitely short circuit and make more efficient your process for writing. And if what you mainly do, what one mainly does is read and write, generative AI should be there each step of the way, in my opinion. Gotcha. And Carl, if I needed to get in touch with you, like, how do I do that? Yeah, you can just ping me at my email address. It's kharris at lexmachina.com. Always happy to chat with folks. So what are your predictions for the future in terms of like how Gen AI is going to impact the law profession? I think two things. Number one is I do see generative AI being something that gets used every day by lawyers in their common workflow uh, in the long run. In the near term, I do think there's going to be fits and starts. There's going to be regulations that get in get placed that may make it more difficult to do certain things. There's going to be more mistakes made. There's going to be more cases like that one um, that you mentioned where folks cited cases that didn't exist. And then we are going to move from a period where people think that generative AI can do everything to then being disappointed when they realize that they can't. And I'm curious to see what that phase looks like before we come out on the other side where expectations are matched. But that kind of period of potential disillusionment is definitely going to happen. And I'm curious to, to see how, how that plays out. Cool. And then as we wrap up, do you have any like final thoughts or recommendations for those who are interested in combining AI with law? I guess like, where would you even focus your attention on in the upcoming years? I think that the, the folks that are going to win in the competition for providing products that leverage generative AI and legal are folks that have really interesting content and content that nobody else has. So for example, Lex Machina, we're a legal analytics company. We have all kinds of information about the outcomes of legal cases, like who was involved, who won, how much money changed hands, what were the legal findings, all that kind of stuff. Only we have that. So only we could ask for a summary of that and provide it to our customers, or only we could ask some uh, generative AI to draft something that was based on this particular content because the large language models by themselves are super powerful. And there's a lot of information out there on the internet that anybody can get. And the ability to use those models on publicly available content, that's just going to be table stakes. That will be a commodity. The place to focus is where can you provide it information that nobody else can provide to either summarize or draft or like I mentioned, augment and check and verify results and things like that. So I would focus on building tools in areas where you can 
build proprietary content sets that can help power your generative AI use cases. Very cool. Thanks so much, Carl, for being on the show. And until next time, stay curious. Awesome. Happy to be here.